Hey, 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 welcome to another version of the Pastor Duke podcast. I have a blessing for you today. I'm in Sarasota, Florida for the winter, head north soon, and I'm sitting down across the table from my preacher, Brother Dwayne Kitchens. Uh, I haven't had a pastor that I sat under since 1978. Wow. <laughs> and God brought us here to the Tabernacle Church, and you have been a blessing to my wife and I during the winter here. And uh, I'm trying to think how many years. I have 50 years in ministry. You have near Let's that. Let's see. I started pastoring when I was 23. So then I was a youth pastor. So let's see here. I'm currently 66 minus uh, 23. So I've been 43 years as a senior pastor. So here we are, 93 years pastoral experience. Big deal. (laughs) You don't look like it, but I do. I have a great face for audio podcasting. You could go either way. I don't know about that. Yeah, so um, it's been a blessing to be under your ministry. This church is on fire for world missions. they got great outreaches to the uh, Sarasota region. And I just want to introduce uh, you to our crowd. Uh, Just kind of give us a background. You're coming to Christ, call to ministry, and uh, turn it over to you for a moment. Yeah, Pastor Duke, I was... I was saved when I was 18, and uh, actually I had gone to church a few times when I, was a, when I was a boy. My mom and dad took me a couple times, but they were not in church. And then eventually, um, you know, of course, as most teenagers, I got away. I uh, wasn't involved in church, and but I was, for some reason, I can't even remember why we were doing this, but we were watching the Ten Commandments. Charlton, Charlton Heston. Heston. <laughs> yes, Charlton Heston. And what I was doing on a Saturday night watching Ten Commandments at Pam's house, I can't really remember why we why we didn't, because we normally go out and uh, went out on a date. So we didn't go on a date. That was our date. Next morning, I woke up very, very early in the morning and uh, just had this incredible desire to go to church. You know, I had, had not planned on that, wasn't thinking about that. And uh, so I decided, I got up, and I had, had a couple of friends who were not really living for the Lord who were hanging around me, but that's the church they went to. And I got up early, went to that church the morning, and uh, the pastor was preaching on the sufferings of Christ. And I was in the very last pew. Amen. That's where sinners <laughs> go. <laughs> yeah. And uh, very, uh, it's like he was just totally preaching to me, and then I called Pam, my wife now, of uh, 47 years, and we went um, Sunday night. And then we decided to go Wednesday night. But I had some things in my life I wasn't sure I was willing to give up. Um, but I just decided, determined, no, I want to follow the Lord, and uh, I want to go to heaven when I leave this planet. And this is in Florida, is that correct? Yeah, this was in Florida, in uh, Lakeland, Florida. And it was a little Southern Baptist church I went to. The guy was a foreign missionary. He was pastoring. On a Wednesday night, I, I whispered in Pam's ear, said, you want to go ahead and receive Christ tonight? She said, yes. So I waited for wow. everybody to get out of the building, just the pastor and two of us. And we said, Pastor Bill, we don't know if we're saved and where we would go if we were to die. He said, Dwayne, you smell real big. He said, we can take care of that. No problem whatsoever. Let's just kneel right here. So we just knelt and uh, must have said a little prayer for you know no more than a minute. Next thing we know, my life, her life was radically changed for Christ, and we have never been the same. My, my call to the ministry is, I'm going to say probably about nine months later. I didn't understand it, but everybody I talked to, uh, I, I asked people, how do you know if you're called to preach? Because every time I heard a sermon, I listened to sermons in the, during the day when I was between jobs. I worked for Orkin and 
was, you know, I put up tents on houses, extermination, things like that. I just, uh, and then I went to the county, and while I was working for the county, I really, uh, I was doing this job all day long, and it was my pastor on the Wednesday night, there was an interim pastor, he said, you know, Dwayne, before I, I asked him, I said, well, pastor, how do you know if you're, uh, if you're called to preach? Pastor Bud was his name, Bud Winstead. He says, well, Dwayne, not everybody has a desire to preach. He says, if you have a desire to preach, most likely God is calling you to preach. So I said, wow. And I went to work the next day, and I was sitting there sandblasting some big scale that trucks weigh on. I think he just gave it for me to something to do. And um, all day long, it was as though someone was standing there. I didn't hear no audible voice, but I continued to hear, if you have the desire to preach, you're called to preach. If you have the desire to preach, you're called to preach. Just constantly, all day long. I went home, I told my wife, and the next thing I know, I'm in Bible college. So that was my call. So you're you're saved at 18. Yes. When did you get married? I mean, you- I got married. Uh, let's see. I was um, I was just turned 19. Wow. Yeah, and Pam had just turned 18. So February 27, 1976. So, yeah. So you guys needed Jesus big time starting We needed so Jesus big time. Yeah. Well, I tell my audience here, uh, like me, you married up a bit, dear brother. <laughs> Why not? Why not? <laughs> I always preach, beautiful women will marry ugly men if we get close enough to Jesus. <laughs> amen. Amen. So That's right. Well, uh, his wife is, is a model pastor's wife, and my wife's opinion, and um, it's you've endured, you know, you have a long track record of faithfulness and fruitfulness and um i just my wife and i giggle every time i did baby dedication yesterday and pam's up on the altar with you passing out the gifts and the flowers and all that it was that was joellen for 40 uh 40 years yeah. in albany new york so um man I, i've heard the call is a deep inner conviction mm-hmm. accompanied by peace in the heart and confirmed by the word of God that God would have you to to preach his word and do something specific uh, for his kingdom work. I'll never forget that. But um, I would agree. I think God's called you to preach. <laughs> I recognize that fire in somebody's heart when I see it. I said, uh, I don't know who this guy is, but uh, he. I think he uh, listens to the same Savior that I listen to. So here we are. You're a Florida boy. And you're in, and God calls you. Now it's time to go off to Bible school and uh, talk about that part of your preparation journey. Yeah, the interesting thing about that is, <clears throat> though my mother and father wanted me to do well in school, they never really stressed uh, academics for me. And uh, my father had was not a college graduate. My mother dropped out of high school, so there wasn't really a push in that area. And I, when I was working for the county, when I actually got called into the ministry, I was working for the county and. Um, and that was going to be my life. I never had any aspirations, no dreams, no goals, no priorities. And, uh, you know, I had a uniform from the county, had my name on it. I had good benefits. Uh, I was probably making minimal wage and uh, just never, ever thought about uh, my future as far as my making money or anything. It's me trying to be successful at what I did. So once I got called into the ministry, though, um, you know, even though I never studied in high school, I can't. When I was in 12th grade, I went to a vocational center and took electrical wiring. And I always tease that I learned just enough to probably get electrocuted. (laughs) And uh, so I went to uh, this Pope Vocational Technical Center and uh, got that. And uh, that's what got me out of high school. And so I I did graduate from high school. And uh, this is no, you know, this is is, is no joke at all. If someone asked me what my GPA was, 
I have no idea. I didn't even know what a GPA was. Because Let I, me interject here. Sure. This guy now has his doctorate. So, <laughs> <laughs> so God had something up his sleeve. That he was to- you were unsuspecting of all that was coming down the road now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, I went to a little Bible college. Uh, so I said, well, I, and the, 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 th- the strange, I guess this is just how God works. I never, I immediately said I need to go to Bible college, but I never thought about Am I going to be able to study and make good grades and get through? And yeah, that so, is part of it. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's kind of interesting. The Lord just never allowed that to be an issue in my life, and I went. It was just a little tiny Bible college, about 90 students, and I uh, went there three and a half years. Wow. And then, uh, but that gave me a foundation for learning how to study, and then I went to a, then I finished my degree at a, at a Baptist university in Bolivar, Missouri. I went there and, I, and did that two years. Less than 60 miles away from where <laughs> I was in going to Bible college. Yeah. In Springfield, Missouri. Yes. And uh, actually our pediatrician was over there that we had to go back and forth to Springfield. So then for, um, so that took me two more years. So really I put about six and a half years in my bachelor's degree. And then I went on to seminary, uh, got an MDiv at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and then I went to Mid America five years, you know, few, about three years later. Mid America Baptist Theological Seminary. Got and a I used men. to speak at a subsidiary of that in Schenectady, New York, uh, mm. Mid America Baptist Theological Seminary yes. to to the Northeast. And I spoke there hundred times. Amazing, you know, it's a wonderful school. It's a good experience for me, and. Um, uh, but uh, then the last few years, I, I finished my classes, but I got to do the project dissertation on a demon in apologetics. I just, and here I'm 66, but I just really felt the need, uh, mainly for the church, because we have so many people confused within our culture. So I want to make sure that I can defend what I say I believe, and whether it's the inerrancy of the scriptures or the resurrection of Christ or the existence of God. And so, uh, because we have a very confused culture today, and I just want to make sure that I'm going to be able to give them good answers, like 1 Peter 3.15 says. So uh, that's uh, that's where I'm, that's why I got that degree. Well, it's it. manifest here in your ministry at Tabernacle Church. Uh, just uh, we arrived in January soon after that, you had an apologetics conference here. It was at best church conference I've ever been to in, mm. in 50 years. It was absolutely phenomenal, and the foundation is certainly being laid for the believers here to uh, have a foundation to stand on. And I've been uh, teasing preacher a little bit. He, he needs to do his own podcast. So <laughs> yeah, and I might down the road. We'll, we're thinking about yeah, it. Well, yeah, we'll put a lot of pressure on him because he's got some things that need to last forever. And uh, I think apologetics is going to be a big part of that. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, that kind of leads me. I might have just kind of, kind of led into this uh, question. What uh, area of ministry most impassions you in pastoral ministry? But is there something within the pastoral realm that seems to be uh, your sweet spot? Well, preaching and teaching, knowing I'm conveying truth to those who are within that sanctuary every Sunday and on Wednesdays I teach. But I want to make sure it just really gives me joy knowing that when I preach, I will share the scripture. And that's what I'm so thankful for my educational life and Baptist uh, indoctrination and teaching and things like this, because they always built their messages on the Bible. So um, that gives me joy knowing that I have a message so very clear, uh, you know, that I don't have to wonder and debate about or say, what am I going to preach? I've got the word from the scriptures, and I know that that's what they need. And so 
when I stand there, I know I've got the truth. And knowing I have the truth and knowing that God's called me, which, like you said, I don't understand why, you know, and uh, some of these things he calls, you know, when we read First Corinthians about, you know, many times he calls the foolish to confound the wise. So I have no idea why he called me. That was never in my plans. But, um, but just standing there preaching the truth and knowing that people are hearing the truth gives me, you know, tremendous satisfaction. And then... I enjoy relating to people and just mixing with people and talking with people. So I think in this day and time, not only do you need to be a solid biblical preacher, but you also need to be a pastor. And, um, you know, I do realize the larger the church becomes the, you know, your, your limitations as far as touching every life. But I'm out there in the foyer before the service, after the service. I hang around. I'm usually the last person mm-hmm. to leave the campus, you know, with a few others maybe. And, um, and my wife also, we just feel like pastoring is more than just, you know, it's caring for the flock. If I'm, you know, I have a flock there. I have a responsibility. God's called me to lead and direct, give direction to this flock. So if I'm going to do that, uh, that's that's another, you know, aspect of really, you know, enjoying pastoring and doing pastoral ministry, uh, you know, just just relating to people. I mean, God's all about people, loving people, and seeing life's changed. When I walk out the doors of the Tabernacle Church every Sunday, I look up, and what do I see on the foyer there? Love God, <laughs> love people. Yes, absolutely. And, and that was the motto of our church back in New York. So it come down here, and maybe that's one reason I relate so much to you. Yeah, it's it's critical, you know, because and I think sometimes and 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 I am thankful for mega churches. I'm glad there's many many large churches, but I think there's a danger of forgetting the fact that you're also not only a preacher teacher, but you're a pastor, you're a shepherd. You need to, which involves more than that personal touch, leading people to make sure you're you're watching over the flock. You're making sure that they're not only hearing truth. But yet you're preaching the whole counsel of God. They need to hear it. Your leadership needs to be sound theologically where they are. So you've got your shepherding, your elders. We have elders within our church and all of our leadership in our church. So pastoring, you know, you, you have to watch out for the wolves, as they say, trying to come in, deceptive doctrines, things like this. And that's why I think it's so very critical that we have apologetics. And that's why in this late time in my ministry, I'm learning apologetics. Well, I'm a student of apologetics, teach apologetics in our local church, Bible Institute, and uh, I see it here live and well. I, something you said a moment ago triggered a thought in my mind. When I was in Bible college, our vice president of our college was teaching one of our preaching courses, and he said this, I'll never forget it, never forget when you preach. He had tears running down his six-foot-four body, big cheeks, godly man, Dr. W. Dow, he, he wept, and he said, when you preach, God is st- placing you between the living and the dead with a message of life. Mm. And I get those vibes from you. Something also I notice is you preach expositorily, which I think is the ultimate uh, mm. preaching technique. Not the coolest, <laughs> not the hippest, <laughs> but yeah. it's systematic. And you always uh, get doctrine into your messages. Uh, and uh, what I love the best is every service I've been here on, on, on the Lord's Day, you make God, 
crystal clear the gospel of Jesus Christ and how to be saved and give a public invitation to respond to the word of God, whether it be for believers to pray, uh, to to uh, turn from sin, but mostly turn to Christ. And uh, I, I, well, we were both brought up with that. Mm-hmm. That's what yes. we saw. Uh, do you have a, a thought on? <laughs> yes, I do. You know, I you know I remember uh, Dr. W. A. Criswell, who was pastor of the First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. I remember. I don't know if he said it or I read it in his book or whatever. But even at a funeral, uh, I make sure I always share the gospel so very clear because he says you're doing a disservice to the Holy Spirit if you do not share the gospel. You know, at a funeral. And I said, wow. And so. I think any pastor, and I know many don't give invitations, what we call the altar time invitation, but I, I'm, I'm, I feel like if you really believe the word has the power to change people, then you ought to be giving the Holy Spirit the opportunity to move upon those people and then respond. To me, preaching is for a response. You're not just giving some little lecture or some little you know, psychological teaching. You're, you're preaching the word, and you're doing so for a response. And so if you believe the word has power to change and the Holy Spirit speaks to hearts, then definitely you, you know, I, do, I don't understand why you would not preach after you preach the word of God, why you would not give the opportunity for people. You never know who's there. Someone's lost without Christ there. Someone who has a prodigal son or daughter could be there, whether it's a recommitment, rededication, um, you know, prayer. People need prayer. And that's part of shepherding the flock. We have we have intercessory prayer teams, you know, elders and wives and some others. And so you might, maybe you came there that day and you're just really hurting inside emotionally and you just need someone to pray for you. Well, that's part of the church being a shepherd, pastoring, praying for your flock, encouraging your flock, bringing edification to the flock. So I think all that is so very critical, but um, I would just really encourage any pastor, any preacher um, you know, who's, if you believe the Bible and you believe the work of the Holy Spirit of God, you need to give an invitation. Uh, it doesn't take long, but it can be an eternal change in somebody's life. You never know what's going to happen when a person leaves that leaves that sanctuary. They they are not promised another day, hours even. So, yeah. so I I realize eternity. I, I believe in a real heaven and a real hell, and I I know those. That's what the Bible teaches. So. Knowing there's an eternity, I would dare not give an invitation when I preach the word. Mm-hmm. I've seen at the altar every week people responding to the word of God. And I've seen hurting people come with tears, yes. black and white, Hispanic, yes. praying in Spanish and mm-hmm. and uh, uh, responding to the message. Absolutely. And they come forward and I see, I see them literally sometimes almost crumble into the arms of the elders, the yes. husband and wife. And, and the wives kind of hug up the, that hurting female, and, and there's that guy. When a guy goes forward, a man puts his hand on a guy's shoulder, prays yes. over him, and I see a lot of tears every week. People do respond to the Word of God. Absolutely. And it's always been a huge, uh, important part of my ministry, and I'm not seeing it everywhere I go these days. Yeah, and I would encourage it. Again, I, I, know, I know a lot of um, younger pastors may have gotten away from that, but um, there was a reason why Billy Graham always gave an invitation, mm-hmm. you know, when he preached, because he believed that God's word changes lives and the Holy Spirit will draw people. And if we believe that, uh, I would just really encourage any pastor that is not doing that, reconsider mm-hmm. and um, consider having an altar time, yeah. uh, invitational time. My people in upstate New York would say, well, Pastor Duke, that's just 
part of our church culture. And uh, sometimes people drive into church in the morning and they're just overwhelmed by what hit them this week, a, a death, uh, whatever it might have been. And they're just looking forward to coming to the church and they just they, they know they're going to come to the altar that day. They're going to get on their knees. They're going to have a, a brother, sister in Christ, put their arm around them and weep with them. Mm-hmm. And it's going to help carry that that load through. Yeah. So uh, I'm thrilled. <laughs> the reason I like your ministry is because I like my ministry and you do it pretty much the same. And uh, so uh, I, I rejoice and uh, been fed here and been challenged as he's Thank preaching you. expositorily. I'm thinking, what's he going to do with this, pa- this passage <laughs> of scripture? Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't always preach expositorily. Um, but uh, I felt led to go through the book of First Peter. I preached through Corinthians and various books of the Bible. But then sometimes I'll preach topically, and uh, I want to eventually uh, preach a series on counterculture, you know, and uh, how to deal with our culture. And that would be more a uh, topical. One time I preached on spiritual warfare, which was kind of topical. But I like preaching through a book of the Bible because no one can say that, oh, he's chosen, you know, because of something that happened, he's, you know, he chose that passage to address an issue. If you're preaching expositorily yeah you have to really look at the text so that's that's the challenge sometimes because you come to a text and it may not really be the most exciting text to preach but nevertheless if you study and work with it and the holy spirit will lead you he's going to give you some good words and yeah and then you can blame the holy spirit for bringing (laughs) bringing the topic up exactly exactly yeah you know all scripture is given by inspiration of god and it's profitable for doctrine, for correction, yes. instruction, righteousness. We're living in an age now where they're heaping in themselves teachers having itching ears and, you know, Sunday morning's like a pep mm-hmm. rally instead of a, a, a doctrinal, you know, a confrontation, you know, truth yes. versus error. And my flesh wants to uh, do evil and the spirit within me wants to do well. And coming to church feeds the spirit and, yes. and hopefully starves the flesh. And mm-hmm. I've always admired that you do name sin and you call out uh you call out the issues of our day, but you do it in a good spirit. So, uh, uh, that, which is important. So that leads me to the next question. Um, how have you seen pastoral ministry, uh, kind of change from the early days till today? I think it's a little more complicated today. It's extremely, it's extremely complicated today because I think, um, the problem is also from a theological standpoint, you have, you know, seminaries, educational institutions, and different ones. And then what happens if you get a very gifted, popular pastor and, um, you know, yet, you know, where he has, you know, huge following and uh, they assume younger pastors are going to assume that's the direction to go. But if that guy gets off target when it comes to preaching sound biblical teaching, that's why you got to preach the whole counsel of God. And uh, we have a, we have a culture that is so radically confused today. And if the church and the pastor is not going to be telling and sharing what the word of God has to say, uh, that's why we have such confusion, confusion. So you definitely need pastors who are willing to stand, whether it's confrontational, whether they get a little opposition, it's not about the crowd. It's about the word. I'm not called to build a crowd. I'm called to preach the word, though I'd love to reach people and see many come to know Christ. Nevertheless, I want to make sure when I stand before the Lord one day that I can say, hey, I have, I've stood on the Word of God. So I think pastors, the biggest challenge today is they're trying to navigate between Scripture and culture, mm-hmm. and they're trying to build numbers, and they're trying to reach people. And, and uh, I think the danger is some are just so concerned about losing people because they're going to preach certain things from the Bible but that's what we need. We need to hear things from the Bible. So I think number one is you have pastors 
who uh, are afraid to challenge cultural dysfunctions and uh, whether it's lifestyles or whatever. And and so you have to be willing to preach the Word of God because your people, you have children, you have teenagers, you have young adults, you have older adults. Even older adults today need to hear the Word because they're confused too. If you're, they're listening to uh, the news media and they're, hear, and they're hearing their grandkids come back and they're challenged with all these things and these lifestyles and how to live and what to do. And so they need reaffirmation of what the Bible has to say. So the pastor, I think, so that's one issue. They ha- they're dealing with a culture and they're also they're dealing with just ongoing opposition towards truth. Truth is a big deal, what you believe. And uh, you have you know relativism. They don't believe in truth today. And so yeah, that's your another, truth. Yeah, yeah. We, we never heard that back in our early days. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's that's true f- for you, but not for me. And that's, you know, that's certainly, uh, I mean, that just blows truth out the door. So uh, they need to know what truth is. So I think your, your modern day pastor has to deal with, you know, what do we, what is, how do we answer those questions? What is truthful? And, and I think one key reason why apologetics is so critical today uh, is you have pastors dealing with these cultural differences. They need to know how, how do I respond? What do I say? Uh, You can't just give some flippant answer and say, well, the Bible says so. You need to be able to give them some very good reasoning for why you believe what you believe. God gives us reason, a reasonable rationale, a, a mind that can use reason. He gives us common sense, all these things. And so we have the tools that God has given us with the scripture, but you need to be able to give that and uh, do it decisively without comp, you know, without compromise. And then I think another challenge that pastors have today is, you know, I would say probably, you know, in my 30s and 40s, the mega churches started popping up all over the nation. So you've got, and many people look at success as what size church I have. And I think that is, uh, and I'm thankful, again, for mega churches reaching multiple people. But at the same time, the problem is success is interpreted by the number of people that's in your congregation or that attends your church. And really, that's not God's standard God's standard is, are you faithful to him? Are you faithful to the preaching of the word? And uh, do so wisely. You know, use uh, discretion in how, in how you say things. You, be, you preach firmly but lovingly. Mm-hmm. In other words, you're going you're gonna to call out sin, but at the same time you're going to make sure there's grace and love and forgiveness and mercy involved in that whole message. So that, that, that is very critical, I think, in dealing with what we're dealing with within our culture. So you got to come across loving, not hateful, but at the same time, firm. We don't compromise what we believe. And that's the problem. So again, I would say with young pastors, they need to get this success-oriented mindset out. And then I think when it comes to our worship services, you know, and, and, and I'm not against using various methods. I mean, here we're using technology right now. Mm-hmm. So I th- I think that it's good to use technology and but I think there there is a danger becoming so entertaining we have to entertain people and you know whether it's putting a Corvette on your stage and you're using that as a prop and I'm not saying that's wrong but I'm just saying how far you know what's next what's next we have the dark service you know you dark in your sanctuary you got lights you know all you know like a entertainment and a concert and uh, I don't want to say too much negativity about that, but I'm just saying that what's next, and I realize that the heart and the motivation behind all that is good, trying to reach people for Christ, but, and uh, I'm not saying there may be some churches that are being, you know, but I think 
you never change the message. Methodologies do change, but not the message. And I think there's a danger there. And I would also say, I, I think uh, within our congregation, we have a lot of older uh, older families and uh, a lot of senior yeah, adults. Yeah, we're in Florida. <laughs> yeah, we're in Florida. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and, and I know a lot of people want to just focus on, you know, a lot of the younger guys are focused on just younger families. But I don't care if you're 25 or 75, if you don't know Jesus, and you die, you're eternally condemned to what the Bible says is called hell. So, uh, yes, we want to reach young families, but we do not want to disengage and alienate the older generation. Many of those older generations, if you're a young pastor and you go to a church and you're going to change things and you're going to run all your older people out, well, hey, they built the church. They were there. They were faithful. They gave. So you do your best to try to, you know, minister to both groups, but yet uh, be careful that you don't put so much effort on methodology that you forget about the meth- the message, mm-hmm. because methodology, yes, it's it's you know what how how we minister today and our facilities and technology and all that's very critical, but I think we need to be so very careful that we're not determined that we're not depending on methodology. We best understand there's a Holy Spirit. Amen, amen. And the power of the Holy Spirit and not just, Mm -hmm. you know, we we depend on all these external things and convenient things and technology. Oh, this is going to build my church. Well, where does the Holy Spirit fit into this? Mm -hmm. It's so amazing. I'm pastored in the Northeast and there's these cathedrals and just incredibly beautiful edifices empty on Sunday mornings. And then across the street, a little storefront <laughs> with like no facilities at all packed out. There's a young man in there on fire for Jesus, Amen. giving hope uh, to the hopeless and reaching out to those that are fallen and uh, giving them hope. And then, then just God lets those churches that don't depend on his Holy Spirit, don't stand on his word of God, try to compromise and just water it down and they die. And I, I think the Holy Spirit lets them die. Yes. But then right across the street, there they go. Somebody's standing on the word and the kingdom is going forward in power. But my heart really goes out to the young preachers. Uh, we remember earlier days where it was simpler and it's oh, not yes. so simple. no. I didn't have people coming in with, with gender dysphoria in right. uh, the 70s, 80s, and even into the 90s. And then some weird things began to happen. Cutting, which I yes. think is the biblical, uh, the, the word bloodletting comes out of the occult. And cutting became an issue. Gender dysphoria, uh, homosexual uh, uh, issues. And we're, we're thankful. We've seen, I've ministered to numerous homosexuals who were convicted of their sin, just like I was convicted of my heterosexual sin. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, the Spirit of God convicted them of their sin, of righteous and judgment coming, and they bowed their knee and their heart to Jesus like you and I did, and he delivered them from the penalty of their sin and the power of that sin over them. They're married. They have families. They love their kids as much as we do, loves their grandkids as much as we do, and yet we're still called homophobes. <laughs> yes, yeah, right. <laughs> Which is not true at all, but uh, the Scriptures are clear on, on biblical morality and... Uh, I just uh, have sat under your the benefit of your preaching, and uh, and I see those balances, and I'm just grateful to have you speaking these things uh, on my podcast because I know a lot of younger preachers do tune it in, and I know you're encouraging them to uh, having done all to stand. And, and I just would I just would again really encourage them not to compromise the scripture. We are not, you know, we we again we can share truth in love. 
but you're not being loving if you don't share the truth. Ooh, say that again, preacher. <laughs> you're not being loving if you don't share the truth. Uh, if we go to a doctor and you know we want him to share the truth, no matter how that affects us emotionally, physically, whatever, we want to know the truth. And he's not, you know, a doctor who doesn't tell us the truth about what we need to do is not helping us. Well, a pastor, we're dealing with eternal truths here. If we don't deal with that correctly, we're not, you can think you're being loving, but you're not being loving. You're leading people into deception. And I think another thing that a lot of young pastors have to deal with today also is you have so many mainline denominations that have gone absolutely Woke. You know, yes, wokeism uh, from a theological standpoint uh, and liberal and uh, woke and liberal and embracing the culture. And uh, the church should be affecting the culture. Now we have the culture affecting the church, which is, you know, that's never, never a good thing. So, you know, we have people bending their theology. We don't need culture determining our theological parameters. We need the scripture. So I would say again to younger pastors that may be listening, you need to make sure that you are not bending to culture and letting culture form your theology. Uh, you make sure that the scripture, because if not, you're going to be misleading people, whether it's those within the LGBTQ movement, they need to hear a clear voice from the man of God. And if he's not sharing it, that causes confusion. And uh, if he's confused, his generation will be confused. So uh, I cannot emphasize that enough of, you know, coming out of, um, you know, looking at what I'm looking at at the age of 66. Yeah, yeah. Trying times for pastors. Uh, take a couple minutes and talk about how COVID uh, hit your church and uh, how you guys uh, maneuvered through that. It's a question preachers and churches ask everywhere. Yeah, COVID. Um, you know, down here in Florida, we have uh, Governor DeSantis, who's been absolutely phenomenal. We just love him to death. But I would say he handled it so very well. And we did believe, you know, we do believe that following uh, laws, uh, as, as long as they're not contrary to Scripture, you know, we follow the laws of the land. And he had phase one and uh, asked, you know, not people not to meet in phase one. And so for seven weeks, we did not have service. As soon as we moved to phase, but we did do, we started doing uh, streaming. And uh, so that was a different dynamic for our church. We were not doing live streaming. So we started doing live streaming. Not that we haven't thought about it before, but we didn't want to encourage anyone to stay home. So, so we did the, uh, we, but we started live streaming. And then after seven weeks, we said, we invited our families to come back who felt comfortable. We said, we understand. So I constantly told people, I understand your fears and your concerns. And uh, please don't be on a guilt trip if you don't come back. Uh, after seven weeks. So we started having, and then people would sit in every other pew. And we, so we were able to spread out, and we taped off every other pew so people felt comfortable. But then pe more and more people came back, and uh, then eventually we moved the tape. And then, of course, we moved into phase three and things of this nature. But we constantly said that we don't want you to feel guilty if you're not here. We understand there's a lot of fear. We have a lot of older you know, families within our congregation, senior adults, so... You know, so at the same time, but I said, you know, but please be listening and don't don't get too comfortable with sitting at home because the body of Christ needs to gather together. And so eventually, and I would say we lost a very small minority, uh, you know, probably I could count on my hand, uh, one hand on families that 
felt like we didn't handle it correctly, but I felt like we did well. We are giving hung in there. That was going to be my next question. How, yes. how was the giving during yeah, COVID? Yeah, our giving during COVID was tr- was strong. Uh, never had to be concerned about that. And so I'm thankful for that. Our people believe in giving and supporting their church. So we did that. Um, so no, never had to think about, do we let a missionary go or anything? like we, The giving was always great. And uh, and so really, uh, we've seen wonderful things, even in the midst of all that. And uh so in, even in the last couple of months, we've had people start coming back. Wow. And uh, we, had, we had a few people, you know, that did have some, you know, physical challenges that, you know, their immune system may be weak or whatever. But like yesterday, there was a lady here that I met, an uh, older woman that had a mask on. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I, tr- I gave her a hug and let her know we love her. And, you know, uh, if she feels where she still needs to wear a mask, that's fine with me. So we, we made sure we didn't condemn anybody over wearing mask or you know that was always an option we didn't we never made it mandatory to wear a mask we said that's up to you mm-hmm. and of course we've heard all kinds of things about the mask today and not being effective yeah. and things like that but you know we said that's up to you but we did not want people to live in fear either mm-hmm. and uh so um but i think our church really came through it really wonderful and i and i i commend them for doing it well when we arrived here january um this is our third year, so 22, 21, January 21, I had just gotten over COVID. I had it back home in New York. It kept me home for 10 extra days back in the, uh, in the free, deep freeze till we came down. And when, when Joanne and I uh, arrived in Florida and we came to church here our first Sunday, the first time we ever walked in these doors, we looked at each other and said, we feel like we're back in America. <laughs> there were a few masks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but uh-huh. people hugged us, and uh, right. you got a guy at the door, Wade. I don't know his last name. Yeah, Wade Barwick. And uh, yes. we came back a year later, and he remembered our names. Yeah, he's good. <laughs> That's his gift. <laughs> That's his ministry, no doubt about it. He, he he's a. Ma- I did, somebody just told me that yesterday. So I can't believe that Wade. He remembers our names. Uh, a, a couple was telling me that, but. You know, another thing with COVID, I think you had we, we had to. I tried to be very careful when it came to the vaccines, not to take a stand either way. I mean, you have different ones. No, we're not gonna. You know, and I, I you know, I think mandating vaccines was certainly uh, it was not the right thing for our government to do. And I think we realized definitely that's been proven that we don't. They shouldn't have done that. But uh, also, I tried to use wisdom in making sure I didn't condemn people for getting the vaccine. I said, we understand that. If you don't want to, we understand that. Mm-hmm. So we didn't take a position. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, I tried to remain neutral on the vaccines. That was a personal decision. The great decision. Bible doctrine, the priesthood of the believer. Amen. There's the answer. Amen. Let, Let them it, make that decision. Yes. Yeah, to be convinced in your own mind. And no matter what we do, do all things under the edification. Amen. Amen. And, uh, that's that's right. I didn't want to cause division, whether it's wearing the mask or having the vaccines. To me, that was a personal decision. Mm-hmm. So we allowed people to make their own personal decision there. And, and for us, it just really turned out, I think, in a very positive way. Well, it was refreshing for us to walk in here and feel like we're back in America again. Yeah, <laughs> I understand. Well, this is one of my favorite questions to ask preachers in all these years. And, you know, you're in beautiful facilities here and in um, and your missions program is off the charts. I'm so impressed with uh, the giving of this church to world missions. It's heartbeat of Jesus. Uh, people look at our ministry 50 years upstate New York and like, what's some of the big things you've seen God do? And there's God stories that he writes in, in a church. And it could be your ministry and your, your wife, your family, 
but what what's some of the highlights you've seen God do here all, all through these years? Well, you know, through my ministry, I would say the last pastor was here 32 years, and I, I must commend him and really um, speak so highly of him because I'm reaping what he sowed within this church. So um, I would say um, my impact probably would just simply be carrying over, preaching the word, being biblical. But he really had the vision, the land. They bought They bought this property over 60 acres where, where there's a dirt road out here. And now there's University Parkway, one of the key, you know, ways to get around here in Sarasota. So um, with a mall, two mi- brand new mall, two miles from our church. So they had the vision and the leaders of that church had the vision, the pastor had the vision to buy this property many, many, many years ago. So I would say, um, you know, yes, we built a sanctuary, we built new facilities and, um, you know, which which is nice to do. Um, but I would say for my ministry, it's been more carrying forth his ministry, preaching the Bible, being truthful with the scriptures and uh, trying to be a good shepherd, all those things. So, um, and God's been, you know, he's blessed us all the way through it. Uh, He's given us wisdom. He's given us wonderful leadership. And uh, thankfully, I think he's just given me some common sense through the years. And uh, not that I haven't made many mistakes in ministry, but he's given me common sense to have some discernment uh, you know, how to pastor and what to do, what not to do, what to say, what not to say, timing of things, and uh, all those kind of things come together. So, you know, I would, I really believe the next five years are going to be the most eventful time of uh, our ministry here at the church. We're very excited what God's doing. He's brought some new staff members, and we see wonderful things happening. And uh, we have such unity within the body of Christ. I can actually say we've not had any issues, major issues, what I call issues. You've always got little things, but no major issues. And uh, so our leadership is excellent. We're gonna, we got a great staff. So I think the next five years probably going to actually be the most exciting time mm-hmm. in my ministry here at this church. Building on the foundation. It thrills my heart to hear that because I gave uh, – 32 years in the, as founding and lead pastor of our church, uh, Church at Newtown Road in uh, n- north of Albany, New York. And God lifted up our youth pastor, uh, Pastor Matt Eaches, to succeed me. And he's wonderfully building mm. on the foundation. Amen. And it thrills my heart uh, to see that. Um, you have an outreach here, and I don't know too much about it. But uh, we have a, a young couple down the road that when we walk, we ran into this uh, Hispanic guy from Spain, not Latin America. Uh, so I guess he's a Spaniard. And we got talking. He's conservative politically. And we got chit-chatting. And, and we've had him in our home a couple times. We've been in their home. And uh, we've uh, invited them to church. They said, where do you go? We said, we go to the Tabernacle Church just you know a couple miles from here. And they go, oh, we love that church. We went to the Christmas program. <laughs> and now they don't attend here, and they're not uh, born-again believers, but they're wide open to the gospel. Matter of fact, I'm going to be uh, meeting him Thursday for lunch for Amen. the final yes. invitation. Um, but uh, they were they were moved. Talk a little bit about that Christmas outreach. I, I've heard great things about it. Yes, it's called Living Nativity, and uh, they've been doing it over 30 years now. Again, it wasn't my vision. Again, that goes back to the last pastor and to leadership that was here at the church. But it's, it's a very uh, simple, in so many ways, outdoor presentation, and it starts basically uh, none of there's you know, there's probably a couple hundred people involved in it. And uh, we draw six to 8,000 people a year who come out. It lasts about 50 minutes. And 
course, we have, uh, you know, the petting area with live animals, goats, sheep, things like that. And um, we give refre- free refreshments. And uh, But it's, uh, it's, it's basically the Word of God. The previous pastor's voice actually is the voice on the narration. Wow. And all he's doing is reading Scripture. And um, it's basically an account of the birth of Christ and uh, him coming into the world and his dying. And so it's just the gospel in a very brief section. But people keep coming every year. I've met people who've been here for over 30 years that come to it. So it's really a community. It's, it's, it just blesses the community. It's a blessing to our community, but yet... There's always people, and every single time I say the sinner's prayer, I lead people. Again, my philosophy, if the gospel is preached, don't dare not Screaming give Screaming amen. <laughs> yes. So uh, I, we, I always say the sinner's prayer at the end, and I make it very clear it's not just saying words. You have to mean it within your heart. And uh, I actually have the whole congregation, every group that's there, you know, the several hundreds of people that are there each night, I have them say it out loud because I know many of them are believers and I want to encourage unbelievers to say it with them and not be intimidated. So we do that. And uh, we have had people come back and say, yes, we've given our lives to Christ, uh, during living nativity. So that's, uh, that's a wonderful outreach and, uh, something we're going to keep. Yeah. We had a a version of it. Now we can't do anything at Christmas outdoors in upstate New York. (laughs) We had an indoor version called marketplace 29 AD advent. And we had groups of 30. Mm. I was a tour guide. I am Cornelius. I am to be your guide on the evening of discovery. We'll understand the witness or the, oh, anyway, but uh, we would have about 3,000 come through and wow. we had to run it five hours a night and we'd run it for about five nights, wore our people out. But uh, <laughs> we just wanted to get people to, to know Jesus. Yeah, that's the can. key. That's, yeah. that's what we're doing. Do you find it really pulls the people of the church together to serve on that Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's such a, because children are involved. Little shepherd, we have children. We have eight all ages, and uh, yes, it, we it pulls the church together, and they really feel you know just a sense of hey, the Lord's using me tonight. So yeah, it is a fa- it really is a family event. That's why we encourage our families to get involved in it. So it's great. Big thing at our church, we did it for a number of years. Who's going to be baby Jesus this oh, year? Oh yeah, yes, yes <laughs> the mother's yes. fighting over right. having a baby maybe in October, so it can be baby oh, yeah, Jesus. Right? Yeah, that happens every year here. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's exciting. And we just dedicated two babies yesterday, so I have a feeling one of those babies is going to be Jesus. Or maybe both of them. We don't know. Yeah, how about that? Are they cousins? These babies were they? Yeah, they were cousins. I could yeah, try they to were figure cousins. They yeah. were cousins. A, a uh, you know, the, a brother and sister. Uh, you know. Uh, the brothers, uh, I think they were so what, yeah. three weeks apart. Something yeah, three, but that's right. I think it was three, three weeks, weeks apart, apart, which is yeah. kind of amazing. Yes. Yeah. Just uh, when I see you doing pastoral care, it just takes me back that that's what I did pretty much my whole life. Yes. And it's kind of a, I'm kind of enjoy not being the lead pastor now. <laughs> all I do now is teach and preach, have the fun thing, and let you guys do all the work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I hear that. Yeah. Uh, well, it, and it, you know, it's, I, I think ministry today is much more stressful than what it used to be. Uh, you you mentioned about younger pastors, and I think it is much more stressful because there's the pressure to grow the church, build the church, success oriented, all these things. What about music? You know, contemporary, blended, too much this, too much that, and uh, so these young pastors are really trying. And I would say you're going to have to just find out where you are and stick with it, and make sure it's biblical, and uh, just know that so you're not going to please everybody. You, it's just simply not going to happen. You know, and realize you'll lose some people. But uh, you'll get a feel, seek the Lord, and uh, under the direction of the Spirit, you'll know where to go. Yeah. Um, Here's a question that uh, younger men ask me a lot, and I'm going to ask you. 
and I'm going to give a real short answer on what my answer is. is that they asked me, what would you uh, change? What would you do different if you had to do all over again? Well, fortunately, I look back, 90% of what I did, I, I would continue. But my aunt, short answer on that is I'd go to less conferences and go to more prayer meetings. <laughs> mm. Any things you look back uh, that, you know, you would change? Uh, well, yeah, you know, I, I think uh, every pastor, I, I would be like, yeah, I probably have about 90, you know, maybe uh, 90% of what I would change. One thing I would definitely change is I would I would have got, if I, if I knew, which I did not know then, how critical apologetics is in defending the faith and knowing how to defend your, your, the scriptures and the doctoral positions and various things like that, I think uh, I, would, I would become an expert in apologetics. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, again, it's not going away. I, I don't think anybody really, you know, I think everybody who looks at things, we, we know this is, this is what we're going to be having to deal with. Why do you believe? What do you believe? And, you know, ha, ha, why, do you, why do you believe that in the first place? So I would say apologetics, if, if I would have known what I know now, I would really delve and you know southern evangelical seminary that i'm finishing my degree at is known for apologetics a uh, great seminary but um, apologetics is one key thing mm-hmm. you know people seem to be willing to change what they believe but if they know why they believe it yes that's the foundation yeah and i don't think people just want to hear these trite answers you know well because the bible says so or, or whatever you need to really give a reason that's what first peter three fifteen says give a reason for what you believe so God gives a, a, a mind to reason, to give reasons and logic and things of this nature. Uh, I would say probably also depending more on the Holy Spirit, um, I would say going throughout my life, and I know we get concerned about extremes within the Pentecostal charismatic movements, things of this nature, and certainly there's been extremes. Uh, but we also, I think we can become so dependent on being word preachers, we forget about the power of the Holy Spirit in people's lives and our own personal lives and our preaching and listening to the spirit and how we preach and the anointing on preaching things like this and uh so i do think uh i would have given much more attention knowing what i know now to pressing and then of course prayer i mean like you said yeah. uh, i would you know when we look at the great men of god of, of the past prayer they had such a phenomenal prayer life we just lost dr charles stanley of course lost him he, he we know where he is he's in heaven but uh, they showed his little, I got somebody sent me a picture of his prayer closet and uh, what it looked like. And he was clearly a man, a prayer, and uh, one that will be missed. So I would say you cannot spend too much time in prayer. And one thing that I've uh, noticed over the last few years is, okay, gosh, I'm, I, I, my time is running out. You know, the week's getting short. But I never cease not to pray. Say, Lord, I take my time to pray because I feel like, I'm going to get a whole lot accomplished more so if I'll take the time to have that communication with God and the Holy Spirit and ask for Holy Spirit. I ask him to give me thoughts, give me metaphors to use, examples to lead me to scriptures I can use in my sermon, to give me all the little sub points and my points in my message and give me ideas. And and uh, I, I just believe he will help me. I could spend all this time on the study, but I best be praying. Mm-hmm. So I'm. Uh, if I were to go back, I would have. I would be on my knees much, much more. So in spending time and in worship, uh, I think a lot of people think about worship just in the sanctuary, but worship. So when I have my quiet time every day and I get alone with the Lord to have, you know, spend time with Him, 
I I put on worship music and I'll worship and I'll, I'll and I, I can pray. I mean, I'm listening to worship and I'm praying and worshiping, praying and worshiping, praising God. So worship to me is a big deal. And then after worship, then then I'm, even after the I turn off the music, then I'll still listen to what the Lord wants to say to me. And I and I and I continue to pray and. So I, I combine, I would really encourage people, worship. Sometimes you, let's just face it, we're going to be honest with your pastor, missionary, whoever. There's going to be times you don't feel like praying. I mean, you don't feel spiritual. You Maybe you've had some bad things happen and things aren't going well during the week or in your life or a child's uh, having some challenges or whatever. So to me, listening to worship music, find the worship music that you like, spending time in worship first, then delving into prayer because all of a sudden you start worshiping, next thing you know, you're ready to pray. Yeah, I think you and I both have been influenced a bit by uh, Jim Cimbala's ministry at Brooklyn Tab, and uh, I know that I can have a sermon and it can be biblically sound and put people to sleep with it, but if it's anointed by yes. the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, when the fires start burning and a man of God is anointed by the Holy Spirit of God and he's standing between the living and dead and his heart's on fire, uh, all the methodology kind of disappears. The, 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 I think it was John Wesley was challenged, well, how do you draw such crowds? You're not uh, recognized by any uh, respected religious organizations and you have no real uh, genuine place to worship. And he simply said, I set my soul aflame with thee. Word of God, and people come watch me burn. <laughs> I think that's what God's done here at the tabernacle before well, you and yes. now that you are here. I, lo- I love the fact that you mentioned Jim Cimbala. In March 2000, that's when the Holy Spirit became alive <clears throat> came alive to me. I always believed in the power of the Holy Spirit, but I never really thought, I, I must confess, I never really thought about the Holy Spirit that often. But you mentioned Pastor Jim Cimbala of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And by the way, there's anybody you ought to be listening to. It's Jim Cimbala. You can go to all his messages. They're solid biblically. And there's just... There's an anointing. Yeah, there is an anointing. Very simple messages, but there is just an anointing upon his ministry. And he he talked about the fullness of the Holy Spirit in R.A. Torrey's life and D.L. Moody's life. D.L. Moody has books on the Holy Spirit. He had major encounters with the Holy Spirit. R.A. Torrey did. The Wesleys had encounters with the Holy Spirit. And, yes, of course, there are some extremes when it comes to all that. But these guys were solid preachers. And so I would say uh, Jim Cimbala, when I had that encounter in March of 2000, what changed in my life radically was just my relationship with the Lord, primarily worship and uh, prayer and the love for the Word. Even though I loved the Word, it just became more. Just another, another level up. Oh, uh, yeah, another level up. So I would say, you know, even though we need, we're, we have the Holy Spirit living within us, we need ongoing infillings of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I ask for that every day. Yeah, it's, uh, I've preached when I kind of sensed I was, not too often, but I kind of sensed I'm kind of alone on this one. Yes, I have too. Absolutely. And it's a horrible feeling. It is. And yeah, uh, it really is. And yeah, you don't, want, you, don't, you don't want to be in that situation. But on the other hand, I've preached when the, I can sense the things coming out of my mouth are from him. They're not from me. I'm not this yes. smart. And you just have that strong sense of his presence, Absolutely. his power. And you yes. look in the eyes of people. And they're getting something even more than what I'm saying. Amen. And I know it's him. And yes. oh, we live for that moment, don't we? <laughs> yeah, sure. we do. We do. That's, yeah. that's a high that we yeah, get. Yeah, we love that. Well, love I got a, about five minutes. I wish we had a whole nother podcast going to this one. But how close do you feel we may be to this next to the second coming of Jesus? Well, Pastor Duke, uh, I know that that's your uh, strength, uh, Forte, as you said, and uh, prophecy. And, you know, I love David Jeremiah. Yeah. 
you know, and all the guys that I really admire, you know, Charles Stanley, David Jeremiah, all these guys, uh, Jack Graham, another one, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Baptist preacher. I would say uh, I think we're very near. I mean, I think we need to be looking up. But, of course, you know, we need to be uh, pragmatic. We're, you know, we don't really know the day or the hour. And I was talking about this yesterday on in my, in my message. Thank you. But you don't know the day or the hour. But, buddy, he does say when you see these things happening, you know, look up your redemption draws nigh. So I do think when we look at what is happening globally, what we, what we see happening within our culture, the twistedness of our culture and the, the perversion within our culture and the lawlessness within our culture, all these things, and then the great reset people are talking about as far as, you know, the one world government. You hear people talking about these things. So I we're definitely positioned. So um, I want to live my life every day like Jesus could come today because he could come today. I think I think everything is in place. Again, we don't know when, but I think it's very near. And I, I put it this way. I would not be surprised if it came today. Amen. <laughs> Ready or not, here I come. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I think Amen. I stole that from you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I used that recently. Yes, <laughs> you did. Seek. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, and I, I, I'll, I'll gladly steal anything you offer me. <laughs> I'll take it around the country, put it on a podcast. I'll do it with you. <laughs> well, I uh, am so honored to sit down with you and getting to know you uh, better and better as we wrap up our third uh, winter season here. We're happy to be in Sarasota, Florida. <laughs> we check the weather every day. It's minus 8 degrees <laughs> in Albany, New York, and we got to go out and face 78 degrees, and I'll sit up by the pool and work on my next podcast. But thanks, Preacher, for... Uh, uh, for sitting down with us today and the heart of Jesus is clearly in you and in this church and uh, it's been an honor and joy for Joel and I to be here a part of it and we hope to be part of it again next year or we have to get a little different different housing arrangements. Well, all but, I can say is I'll let you speak on that Wednesday night and everybody says, when's he going to speak again? <laughs> so it's probably good you're going back up because they might want you to replace me here. Uh, so. <laughs> I'm too old. <laughs> so, we, so we, but you know, I wish I would have got, of course, you know, we got to know you better this time and we'll continue to do that. We'll, we'll be glad when you get back with us. Well, we appreciate your ministry and what you're doing. I love the fact that even though you've been out of the pastor so many years, you're still fired up, committed, serving God, doing whatever you can for the kingdom. So praise the Lord. And may the Lord bless your ministry. Amen. To our listening audience, uh, thanks for tuning us in today. And uh, pray for Pastor Dwayne Kitchens. Uh, God's moving on his heart to do his own podcast. He's got so much, and especially in the area of apologetics. I'm throwing gasoline all over his sparks because God's got a lot up up, uh, his sleeve for Pastor Dwayne Kitchens and the Tabernacle Church. And it's our joy to be here. And so thanks for tuning us in. I appreciate it if you would like and share and do all that kind of stuff. You know how to help get the uh, message out to other people. So love you. See you next time. Bye-bye for now.